0: Good Morning Nancy is a horror movie podcast, and it may not be for all audiences. This episode contains discussions on PTSD and sexual violence. Listener discretion is advised. Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And if you're new to the show, welcome. This is Season 4, Episode 2, and we're so excited for you to join us.
1: Gracie and I have been friends since forever, and we love talking about our favorite horror movies
0: together and with you. All while drinking a nice cup of coffee.
1: Mm. Mm, mm. Today... <laughs> Wow, we really love coffee. We sure do. Uh, What were you going to (laughs) say? Well, today we'll be discussing director Joseph Zito's Forgotten Slasher, The Prowler, aka Rosemary's Killer. It premiered on October 9th, 1981, and it stars Vicki Dawson, Farley
0: Granger, Lawrence Tierney, and Christopher Goutman. We're not shy about spoilers, so if you haven't seen this film, we highly suggest that you pause this recording and watch it. Still here? Okay, great. Then let's get this morning started. So after graduating with his master's in psychology, Joseph Zito decided to scrap all of that and pursue his dream of making films. Wow, weird. Can relate. (laughs) I actually thought that when I was researching him. Yeah. Hmm. So he started off directing a film called Abduction, which is based on the Patty Hearst kidnapping, And then he directed a film called Blood Rage, which was, yeah, which was an original work that he wrote and directed himself. Oh, wow. I know. So for his third film, he was given a script penned by Glenn Leopold and Neil Barbera, who both wrote for Hanna-Barbera's cartoon Scooby-Doo. Get out of town. That's so cool. Yes. So The Prowler is is basically an adult version of Scooby-Doo. Well, where's the dog? That's what I want to know. That's true. There's no greeting. That's the big question. Mm. Well, (sighs) they failed there. Wow. Uh, So they wanted to do something different, right? So they wanted to write a more adult murder mystery. So they wrote The Prowler, a.k.a. Rosemary's Killer. (laughs) Zito had a small budget. So he cast a bunch of unknown actors and got all of the period piece costumes from a warehouse and the old cars from a collector who was willing to loan them for free. Oh, for free? He's like, here you go. Enjoy them and bring them back safe. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. He's super trusting. So the most notable actors in the film are the Strangers on a Train actor Farley Granger and Lawrence Tierney who was previously in Dillinger, Born to Kill, and at this time in the 80s, would eventually star in Tarantino's Reservoir Dogs. Hmm. Renowned makeup artist Tom Savini had just finished working on a film called Maniac, which all of you die-hard horror fans know, yes. when Zito called him to help with special effects for The Prowler. And we're going to talk more about Savini later. Initially, Zito had wanted to shoot the Prowler in Avalon, California, where it is set. However, it was decided by Zito to shoot the film in Cape May, New Jersey instead, which he felt had a more ghost town quality.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. So this is a California based film, but in it's filmed in New Jersey.
1: It doesn't look like a California
0: film. No, it doesn't look like Avalon, California at all. It does no. feel like an East Coast area. Yeah, it does. So, Cape May is a summer town, and it's pretty dead during the off months. So, they filmed over a period of six weeks in October and November. According to the cast and crew, the locals of the town were really creepy (laughs) and strange, and that's all I know. Wow. I don't know why they were weird and strange. I don't know what they did to appear weird and strange, but the info that I found was that they were really weird. Interesting. Yeah. I kind
1: of felt the same way when I was in New Jersey, though.
0: Just in general, New Jersey?
1: (laughs) Yeah. What is that? Are any of our listeners based in New Jersey? Because if you are, tell us what's going on down there.
0: Okay, so initially, Avco Embassy Pictures, who had previously released the slasher Prom Night, which you guys can listen to our episode about Prom Night in episode 20. Prom Night! everything is all right (laughs) it's a good episode and a good movie yeah so um that company that distributed prom night expressed interest in distributing the prowler but the film was instead distributed independently in the united states by sandhurst films which was a huge mistake because no (laughs) one saw it oh It was released under the title Rosemary's Killer in Australia and Europe, in a cut that is missing most of Tom Savini's beautifully done gore effects.
1: What the even heck?
0: It wasn't until 2002 that the film got a DVD release where everyone, all over the world, could finally see the uncut project. So, this film is a cult classic mm-hmm. and rightly so. And even though it has a die-hard following, the film is judged as being certainly polished, atmospheric, and suspenseful, though it's hardly original. <laughs> well, alrighty then. With that said, Abby, could you please remind us all of the plot?
1: Sure. The film begins with a reading of a Dear John letter from World War II. And this letter basically says that the sender wishes to end her relationship with this mystery receiver as he's been away at war for far too long and she doesn't want to wait for his return. The sender is a girl named Rosemary and she attends her graduation dance with her new boyfriend and they sneak away to make out but are interrupted by a masked prowler donning a soldier's uniform wielding a pitchfork that he uses to stab them both to death. Thirty-five years later, another graduation dance is being planned, and a group of youngsters are picked off by the same unidentified prowler throughout the night of the dance. Our main heroine and final girl, Pam, does everything she can to find out who the killer is with the help of the sheriff's deputy, Mark, who is left in charge after the sheriff leaves town for his yearly summer fishing trip. Mystery abounds, as we're told in the beginning of the film that there's a prowler on the loose a few towns over who'd been stabbing people but after the suspect had been caught, the killing continues. However, we discover that the sheriff who had left for his quote-unquote fishing trip is indeed the Prowler, who, as it turns out, was Rosemary's spurned boyfriend.
0: Awesome. Okay, so let's talk about the Bechdel test. There's one moment where the character Lisa, and I... I watched this movie four freaking times and I could not remember the girl who was doing her nails. I can't either. But I know she has a name mm-hmm. because I'm sure sh- I'm sure she has been said. Yeah. But I I literally was writing the script and I was like in the middle of writing and I thought I can't remember this girl's name. And I was like I am not watching this movie for a fifth time to figure out this girl's name. Oh, i just like i guess i could just look it up right now but i just don't feel like it yeah. so she does have a name and <laughs> lisa and this girl are jokingly talking about uh, spilling nail polish on lisa's dress and so it does pass in that moment but barely because they immediately start talking about their neighbor who's major chatham a man <laughs> and there is a scene where pam and the other girl again another girl i can't remember her name <laughs> uh, but she does have one and they are talking and they talk for a minute about going to the dance and then they immediately start talking about mark who yeah. is pam's boyfriend yeah well sort of my friend sort of boyfriend can actually yeah okay after the dream team test let's talk a little bit about mark yeah he's not in let's our... <laughs> He has lots to say about him. I sure do. Okay, so Nancy's Dream Team. So, for an explanation of this test, check out our blog post link, which is in the show notes. So, one, was the supporting cast at least 50% women? No. Hmm. Two, did a woman write, direct, or produce the film? Nope. Three, was the final girl a person of color? No. Four, were there any openly LGBTQ characters in the film? No. Okay. So let's talk about Mark. (sighs) Okay. First
1: glance, I was like, Christopher Walken? Listen,
0: that's what my husband said, too. It's what Luke said. He was like, that guy looks weirdly like Christopher Walken.
1: It's his eyeballs (laughs) and his like blank stare. His hair just ruins
0: everything for me. So I can't. that eighties hair man. Well, it that, ruined that a lot. That feathery of, hair. It ruined a lot of lives. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it definitely ruined a lot of people's hair for years and years and years to come. So
0: thanks, eighties. Um, you know, he also kind of reminds me of Robert Zadar. And if anyone has seen out there who has seen the Soul Taker or um freaking Maniac Cop. Robert Zadar has a very interesting face, and his face, I think, is what made him kind of famous. He mm-hmm. has a really big chin. <laughs> he has really big cheekbones and a big chin, and he kind of reminds me of like a more subtle, like, look, as in looks, he looks like a subtle version of Robert Zadar. This poor guy.
1: Wait, Robert Zadar? Is that the guy from uh, the Ninja movie that we watched, too?
0: Yes, he's in Samurai Cop.
1: Oh, my God. I can't believe you made that comparison, but that's hilarious. Well,
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you. So he's kind of a jerk face. He's literally the worst. Yeah, he is. Like, all
1: in one night, he's like, "Mm, let me go. Let me go hang out with Lisa. Oh, I love you, Pam. Oh,
0: mm, but Lisa. mm." What a weird thing, though, right? Yeah. Like, it it almost seems like it's really forced how they try to create this like uh tension between him and pam because he's dancing with lisa yeah. and i'm like if he like just don't dance with her just be like no you're drunk or no like i have a girlfriend and walk away like how old is this guy he has a he's a deputy sheriff right yeah he's got to be around the same age yeah, i because they're in college right mm-hmm. yeah senior year so he's got to be just maybe like two or th- Yeah, a few years older than them yeah oh. it was really upsetting
1: i did not like his character whatsoever i thought he was he's like a freaking what's it called when you're a, a waffle like you're, when you're a waffle yeah it's like um i don't know it's like when you can't decide what you want so you're like hmm yeah you sit there and him and haw
0: I have never heard that term before. Waffling.
1: Somebody tell me this is a real term and I'm not (laughs) going crazy. I'm sure it is. But no, I did not. And I didn't think that really added to his character at all. I think it just kind of added to that whole like girls having to compete with other girls thing that was popular in the 80s. That didn't
0: become unpopular until very recently. So, yeah, well, I mean, like we said before in our As Above, So Below episode, like we talk about how it's like even Stranger Things season two did it. Yeah. Which came out very recently. Oh, you're right. Yeah. And it's just like. It's so dumb. And it, it yeah. doesn't
1: add anything to the script or the story or the characters. I just. Think well, yeah, stupid. this whole
0: love triangle thing is just so tired and it tired. it's tired and it's just <laughs> dumb. Well. I know, we're going to be talking about other movies now, but that that's true. I, I thought that that was a really weird thing to add. It, it was unnecessary for both their characters. I guess it created sort of a tension, but they I don't think they needed to create that tension because Pam already sort of was saying things to him about him not being a real sheriff. Yeah, which could have added to his character in the sense where like he wanted to, like, because the sheriff is gone, he wanted to have that like really major responsibility of taking mm-hmm. care of the town and he keeps effing up. <laughs> and uh, that could have just been a really good part of his character without having to add any weird sexual tension between him and Lisa, because that just sexualized Lisa yeah, in a really weird way. I guess like and he didn't even just do it with her like he flirted with even the girl with the short hair who gets I yeah her name, but the well
1: when they're hanging the sign yeah he's like she's looks like, good
0: from here yeah
1: and she's like oh how does mine look and he's like <laughs>
0: these girls should have said f off mark you have a girlfriend <laughs> and her name is pam and she's she's our sorority sister get our, out and she's our friend stop acting like a jerk face yeah let's make a horror movie where that's how the girls treat the guys yeah <laughs>
1: oh no yeah or we could just make a horror movie where guys are not garbage to girls yeah that that too too.
0: well and just that to me just shows first of all that these movies don't put guys in a good light either right they put girls in a bad light and they put guys in a bad light and so everyone looks like pieces of trash instead of just (laughs) decent humans yes
1: And the only one who is a good person is Pam, who doesn't get any. So that
0: also makes me upset. I do want to add this part about Pam. I love the very subtle and maybe unintentional fact that she wears the jacket at the end. Like, she's the new sheriff in town. Yes. Because he gives her his jacket. Yep. Because she blows that guy away she she the like (laughs) she blows the prowler away um and you know she and who is the sheriff as you explained in the plot summary
1: Mm -hmm.
0: i just love that i you know she has become the new deputy deputy sheriff because mark is just falling apart and you know and she gets rid of the old sheriff and now Mm -hmm. she's the new one
1: it's kind of cute too how they like take that trope of like you can wear my jacket if you're cold and she like owns it she does she's She's like like, oh this is mine now (laughs) (laughs) we're breaking up you can't have your uniform back (laughs) actually i'm the new sheriff and it looks great on me so (laughs) f off mark
0: So the ending is a little weird because it has a, a kind of a Carrie esque ending where yeah. like a character like comes back to life and grabs Pam. Mm-hmm. I don't know why she goes to the shower to look at their bodies. Like it's a really weird surreal dream sequence almost because yeah. I don't think it. I don't think it actually happens. I think she imagines him going after her because it's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what happens in Carrie too. Sue dreams that Carrie jumps from her grave and grabs her. Yeah. I just, I thought that that was a little, uh, okay, yeah. you didn't have to end it like that. I I think it would have been great if they just ended it, listen, <laughs> I think it would have been great if they ended it and Sue was, or not Sue, if um Pam was being pinned, like as the new deputy sheriff yes. or something, <laughs> something stupid oh like that. Oh my God, reimagined endings. Uh. We need to write some fan fiction. Uh. <laughs> horror movie fan fiction Fanfic. but anyway guys what did you think of the overall plot of the story with regards to the characters and their roles that they play yeah all right so let's talk just for a second about the name the prowler and rosemary's killer it's actually a big debate i guess about like which name or title is better i personally like rosemary's killer better i think that that's a different type of title that yeah. you don't hear really yeah yeah but the Prowler is mentioned in the film that he's... Uh, there's a Prowler in the loose, like they actually say it. Mm-hmm. So... I wonder if there was maybe a thing with like Rosemary's Baby. Like they didn't want it to be too similar or something. Well, the UK decided, I think decided to call it Rosemary's Killer. Hmm. Oh, right. So, in Australia. I actually don't know why it was called the Rosemary's Killer. If you guys know the answer, let us know. Which one do you like better? I like Rosemary's Killer. Yeah. So, real quick, let's talk about the scene that I thought was really unnecessary. Um, So, this film does waste a lot of time and on first viewing it doesn't feel so bad but if you've watched it four times like i have you start to really notice where it really drags and it really throws you very much like scooby-doo which is kind of interesting very much throws you in a very different direction than you want to go yes (laughs) because it's just gags kind of really Mm -hmm. and i know it's kind of weird to compare it to scooby-doo because it's a children's cartoon but it's like Without all the f bombs and the, you know, boobs and the sex stuff that's happening in this, like yeah. it kind of feels that way. And I think there's like this really ridiculous scene where the deputy, Mark, he's trying to contact the sheriff at his hotel <laughs> and he is talking to this guy who's this really pointless diversion. Yeah. you know of because you said you already guessed it was the sheriff even oh, without yeah. this scene yes because the scene is supposed to uh so what happens is mark calls the hotel and the guy who runs the front desk is like oh i will i'll t- see if i can find him but he just sits there and plays cards drinks beer eats beef pizza. jerky. yeah beef jerky <laughs> and he's just like gets back on the phone he's like nope didn't see him he's not in his hotel room nope didn't you, you know yeah I and he and like makes there. sound effects to pretend like he's gonna go look in his room and see if he's there And it's supposed to make you think that the sheriff is there, and the reason why they can't get a hold of him is because some guy is just not getting a hold of him for them. Right, And then they're like, you know, whatever. But it's so dumb, because like you said, it's already pretty obvious that the sheriff is the killer based on just circumstances of what's happening. He's gone. Yeah. They make a point to show that he is He's he's cast as an older guy, and he's like, oh, I can't miss this fishing trip. I'm going like on this yeah. day, and yep. it's just like, but okay. So, what do yeah. you guys think of that scene? Did you think it was funny? Do you think it was dumb? Let us know. I was a little bit enraged.
1: <laughs> I was like, <laughs> this is just making me mad. Good morning, Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee.
0: We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally artisanally roasted and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish.
1: Yum. Oh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it.
0: I just drink it black like my soul. Mm -hmm. So guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today.
1: Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street.
0: So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. There's all the fun stuff. Let's talk about some of the more serious aspects of this film. And it almost seems like an oxymoron to sort of talk about like serious stuff mm-hmm. with the Prowler because it's a 80s slasher that, you know, didn't is a cult classic now, but it didn't get a lot of hype when it came out. And again, like people said, it was a very tiring story. Um, yeah. My Bloody Valentine, which we also reviewed, guys. So check it out. Uh, is very has a very similar plot mm-hmm. and my bloody valentine did come out the same year as the parlor but it did it came out right before it so if people did see both of them that same year they would have been they, yeah, they, they would have been like this is the exact same film just different costumes basically yes yeah and let's talk about what makes this film really good like the special effects are really what makes this film Movie reviewer Ronnie Angel spoke of The Prowler back in June of 2016, and he said, quote, Let's get one thing perfectly straight here. In reality, only a very few horror movies have actually shocked me. There have only been a few horror films I've seen that severely affected me. The mark of a truly great horror flick. And he lists The Prowler among his short list of very terrifying films. Hmm. And this is because... Of the special effects. Yeah. So Tom Savini, in what he personally cites as one, of his, as one of his favorite projects, The Prowler, absolutely raised the gore bar for this one. Yeah. A movie reviewer by the name of Killian, and that's all I know about him, uh, he reviewed this film on horrornews.net, and he said, quote, The effects in The Prowler are one of the main reasons to watch the film the graduating students and any who get in the prowler's way are disposed of in very violent fashion. This isn't limited to more pitchfork impalements. one done in the shower. A head is impaled by a bayonet, a young woman's throat is slit in a swimming pool, and heads are blown completely away by shotguns. Joseph Zito, who's the director... Joseph Zito's killer isn't happy with just using one instrument of death, and it is apparent that Savini had a lot of fun with creating these horrifying images of death. That's actually kind of interesting. This is one of the rare slasher films where the killer uses multiple instruments to kill people.
1: Because usually the weapon becomes like pretty iconic and associated with a character,
0: yeah, but the Prowler, I guess he uses the pitchfork a few times, but he does use multiple weapons in yeah. this film. So it's
1: that's where it differs from My Bloody Valentine also, is that the, the killer in My Bloody Valentine
0: uses a pickaxe. Yeah, that's so true. And that, I mean, I'm trying to think of any other slasher films off the top of my head where the killer uses different weapons. Yeah. Guys, let us know. So in December of 2016 for Dread Central News... David J. Wilson wrote, quote, Taking entire days to film, the shooting schedule was built around executing these set pieces that are some of the most realistic and mean-spirited murder scenes ever committed to celluloid. Yeah. These are not just quick hack and slash, then cut to the next scene kills we are used to seeing in stock and slash flicks, as they are far more drawn out, making us watch Every excruciatingly explicit detail of the victim's demises. Yikes. This is mesmerizing, gortastic imagery. He's correct. You know, when I first saw this film, and as I started watching, I thought, okay, this is just a regular, everyday slasher flick. It's not even the first kill, because the first kill's pretty interesting, where he stabs both of the the boyfriend and girlfriend with the pitchfork. Yeah. The second kill, where he stabs the guy in the brain. That was rough. That had sound effects. Like it hurt when I saw it. Like I felt the hurt. Like my my head started like feeling weird. Yeah, I I was like,
1: oh, don't like that.
0: (laughs) Don't like that. And I think that whole movie changed for me after that. I thought, okay, this is going to get pretty serious. Like when it comes to gore. And I didn't know at the time that Tom Savini had done the effects Mm -hmm. until the credits and so I was very pleasantly surprised to find out that it was him and what's also kind of interesting is that he is the prowler in all of those scenes uh the actor who played the prowler who was just walking around and stalking everybody was actually not Farley Granger who plays the sheriff it was the assistant director oh and so he would actually be in the scene right as the prowler and he was directing people to do what they needed to do yeah. in care as his character. And then when scenes called for gore, it was always Tom Savini. And the boot that like kicks her back into the pool, Lisa, is actually his arm in like a in like a <laughs> in like a pant leg and boot and it's just him with his arm kicking her in the face with his arm. Oh my god. And I guess they had to do that scene eighteen times or something crazy. Oh, and then of course this is October November and this poor yeah, girl's that poor in the water. Girl. God. Right. So, but that was always Tom Savini, which actually makes it kind of interesting to watch these scenes because he had to be in control of making sure all of this gore worked. Right. Well, I mean, who better than the person who actually created it? Right. Exactly. So I wanted to talk about the effects in The Prowler and our reactions to it first before letting all of you guys know about Tom Savini himself, because I think his history will really bleed into our next topic. Well, and that's no pun intended, but there you go. Wow. Dad jokes. Okay. (laughs) So here are some excerpts from David J. Skull's book, The Monster Show. Quote, Tom Savini didn't want to go to Vietnam. He wanted to make movies. Savini had grown enthralled by horror movies and enjoyed creating makeup effects. Lon Chaney Sr. was his idol, unquote. And for anyone who might not know who Lon Chaney Sr. is, he is the actor who played the Phantom of the Opera in the silent version. And he is known for his amazing special effects uh, from the early 20s -hmm. and even before that, I think. So Savini had actually already enlisted in the army and was sort of a part of a pick-your-own-program type deal because he didn't get drafted. He actually chose to be in the army. Ah. Uh, so he was able to actually pick what he wanted to do.
1: Well, that's sort of nice, I guess. I mean, <laughs> it's
0: probably like, if I have to go, well, here's what I'm going to do. He actually chose combat photography, which is also known as combat camera, and... So David Skall says, quote, there were no horror movies in Numb, but there was plenty of horror. In a 1982 interview, just a year after The Prowler came out, Savini said, quote, I saw a lot of bloodshed there and my job was to photograph it. I did continue to practice makeup by working on soldiers just for laughs, unquote. He goes on to talk about how he nearly once stepped on a severed human arm and consistently visited hospitals to see his friends who had various appendages taken from them during combat. He said, quote, perhaps my mind was seeing it as special effects to protect me. Poor guy. Yes. So that actually transitions really well into our next pretty serious topic, PTSD. Abby, could you talk a little bit about what PTSD is?
1: Yeah, according to the Department of Veterans Affairs, which they have a whole website set up. So if you guys are interested in learning about any more of this stuff, definitely check it out. We'll include it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Their definition of PTSD. Basically, post-traumatic stress disorder is what PTSD stands for. It's a mental health problem that some people develop after experiencing or witnessing a life-threatening event like combat, a natural disaster, a car accident, or sexual assault. And it's normal to have upsetting memories, feel on edge, or have trouble sleeping after this type of event. And at first, it may be hard to do normal daily activities like go to work and go to school or spend time with the people that you care about. But most people start to feel better after a few weeks or months. Then they go on to talk about combat-related post-traumatic stress disorder is a long-standing problem that dates back to antiquity. Homer's epic poems, The Iliad and The Odyssey, are filled with descriptions of war-related psychological
0: damage. Yeah, and that's from Martin H. Levinson's General Semantics and PTSD in the Military. PTSD... Has, of course, been around for forever and has been in our literature for in our entertainment. Characters have experienced it for forever. During World War II, doctors, I guess, dubbed combat related trauma as battle fatigue. Yes. So in this film, we could possibly connect that to the sheriff, the yeah. prowler. I guess another thing is it was called combat neurosis and combat exhaustion. And after the Vietnam War in 1980, the medical world acknowledged PTSD as a legitimate medical disorder by listing it in the DSM-3.
1: So before PTSD was established in the psych world, this also comes from that same website for the Department of Veterans Affairs. It was said that up to half of World War II military discharges uh, were said to be the result of combat exhaustion. And CSR, combat stress reaction was treated using um this thing that they called pi which meant proximity immediacy expectancy and these were like the principles that they used to treat these people and it required treating casualties without delay and making sure sufferers expected complete recovery so that they could return to combat after rest
0: whoa (laughs) yeah
1: they said that the benefits of military unit relationships and support became a focus of both preventing stress and promoting recovery, which, like, okay, it's good that they were trying to implement something, but, I mean, it didn't really help that much because you are still dealing with the PTSD of war. So there really wasn't too much treatment or help for discharges for, in World War Two.
0: It was sort of like, get over it. Yeah. Soon, because you're going to have to go back. Yes. <laughs> oh,
1: so they were like, well, we understand that you're under a lot of stress, but
0: um, we need you. So, <laughs> I mean, World War II was a war that we won. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, there's some sort of relief. But then you think about Vietnam mm-hmm. and how it was so incredibly pointless and sad for everybody. Yeah. You know, no matter if you win a war or not. There are people who suffer afterwards. Yeah. Vito Zepinic, from his article, Human Rights, Violation, and Chronic Symptoms of PTSD, said, quote, "...everything which was built over many years—friendships, life targets, self-values, self-cohesion, and continuity—has been exposed to devastation and destruction." Traumatic experience during the war usually destroys the sustained bond between traumatized individuals and the world at large. How does this relate to our killer in The Prowler?
1: Well, like we were just talking about with the whole pie thing, they kind of expected soldiers to rely on each other and kind of like bounce back with each other. But when you're dealing with a unit of guys who are, Like completely ruined and traumatized because they weren't prepared for the horrors of war. Like, how do you expect them to get better? Yeah. So, and I think that's exactly what they were saying in this study. As far as the the prowler, the main killer, Sheriff Fraser, it didn't really seem like he had that camaraderie to be able to. seemed like he seemed alone. Yeah, he was a loner. He He didn't marry.
0: He didn't have kids. Right. Ooh, that transitions really well into another thing we we're just about to talk about. Mm-hmm. So I we want to make it clear that not everyone with PTSD becomes killers. That's not true. No. Very, someone very, very close to me has PTSD, and that does not make this person uh, a psychopath. No. That's not the case. What we're just trying to do is sort of connect some dots as to why maybe he could have been this way. Uh, He could have just also been a really bad person from the very beginning. Yes. And be maybe an incel. Yeah. Which is something that's very different from someone who suffers from PTSD. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about incels. Oh, God. So the term incel comes from the words involuntarily celibate. So the killer's motivation. Okay. So he's angry that Rosemary, a.k.a. Francis Rosemary Chatham sent him a Dear John letter, and he got upset with it. And instead of just, like, moving on, finding a new girlfriend, he kills her. And her boyfriend. And her current boyfriend, who actually might be kind of a jerk, but it doesn't... It still... Doesn't deserve it. Doesn't deserve it. It's still her boyfriend. So um, she actually sent that letter to him on March 12, 1944... And then she must have met Roy, who was her new boyfriend, during that time or on New Year's. But I think she met him during that time. And then they were, didn't have sex or didn't do anything sexual until New Year's. Because remember he says at the beginning, he's like, don't, like, remember New Year's? Like, we had sex on New Year's. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And she was like, that was different because I was didn't know what I was doing. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, God. That's why I think that this guy might not be the best. <laughs> Anyway, he's a different type of toxic. You're drunk? Let me just have sex with you. Yeah, it's a different type of toxic masculinity. (sighs) Anyway, she's at least been with this guy for about almost half a year, more than half a year. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while. And it's like he just, he couldn't get over it. In the past few years, a subset of straight men calling themselves incels have constructed a violent political ideology around the injustice of young, beautiful women refusing to have sex with them. Or have any kind of relationship with them have- other than friendship. Yes. And this is coming from uh, Gia Tol- Tolentino from The New Yorker, and her article is called Rage of the Incels, and it was a very recent article. Uh, link to it is in the show notes. But she says, um, incels tend to direct hatred at things that they desire. They are obsessed with female beauty, but despise makeup as a form of fraud. (laughs) Incel culture advises men to looks max or status max to improve their appearance to make more money in a way that presumes that women are not potential partners or worthy objects of possible affection, but inconveniently sentient bodies that must be claimed through cold strategy. Wow, yeah. They assume that men who treat women respectfully are white knighting. Quote, quote, putting on a mockable facade of chivalry.
1: <laughs> okay, okay, pal.
0: It's very dangerous mentality. I think that it's really safe to say that Sheriff Fraser is an incel for sure. Most, okay, so most serial killers in these types of films are repressed sexually. But it's not necessarily an incel thing. It's more that of a sort of a mirroring of that killer and the final girl who is also sexually repressed in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, Carol J. Clover, who wrote Men, Women, and Chainsaws, I'm paraphrasing here, but she sort of explained it as a way for uh, the female character to use that repressed sexual raise to stab and kill the other repressed character who is the killer. Yep that's just a very broad example. This particular thing is different because it's it's sort of more personal because it was his girlfriend. Yeah. And it's almost a little too real in that sense too. What do you think about this whole incel thing with Prowler? Well,
1: I think that these people who feel this way don't really have a grasp on reality. And I am like a wholehearted believer that there's someone out there for everyone. And if it doesn't work out between you and someone, it's there's usually a reason for it. <laughs> and these people don't understand that because they are not mentally healthy or strong. So they can't handle rejection. And they feel as though they deserve the attention or affection of a beautiful woman. And not that like, like, you can go out and have one night stands with people. You don't necessarily have to, like, quote unquote, earn it, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, we are, I think we're kind of moving away from the notion that, like, oh, okay, well, I took you out to dinner, so now you have to have sex with me. Like, I hope that we're moving away from that. But that's kind of like a thing with the incel community, feeling like they are owed something.
0: Oh. So.
1: I feel like in this film, the Prowler is away at war and he's fighting for his country. So he feels like he has the right to come back to a girlfriend and she has to wait for him. Yes. And she can't do anything else or be with another person because she is his and that's it. And if she wants to be with someone else, then he's not going to let that happen because if he can't have it, no one can.
0: That's pretty frightening
1: i mean they coin phrases for it what is it like you have brads and
0: like, something it, like that it's
1: like stacy's is, is it? it brads and stacy's yeah that stand for like hot guys and like hot women and stuff like that and
0: so you know last podcast on the left did a really great side story episode yes. where they talked to a woman who made a documentary about incels mm-hmm. and uh henry zabrowski is one of the hosts uh he's dating a model now if you if you've ever seen Henry Zabrowski, he's a very short guy, yeah, he's a redhead, uh well, cute Polish guy, yes, he is, <laughs> and uh a lot, I guess a lot of guys have said to him like like how did you get this girl? like yeah. you don't deserve her kind of thing, mm-hmm. and it's like, are you kidding me <laughs> And I thought that that was a really interesting um look at like incel like that episode's a very good look at incel culture and you guys should definitely check it out um i'll also link to that in the show notes because everyone should listen to that and be aware of incels and be wary of incels well and it also
1: is kind of ironic because it sounds like a lot of um like nazi
0: ideology like which is sort of an oxymoron since he was fighting against it exactly again this is not every man we're just sort of justifying why he might have done what he done, yeah. what he had done. Um, he's in a position of power. He's the sheriff. Yeah. Yes. Which is actually a huge indicator of somebody who is abusive or somebody who might have uh, misogynistic tendencies. They've tried to get to a place of power so that they can have control. You mean like any position of power, not just any sheriff, right? Any position of power. <laughs> yeah, any, just wanted to clarify. No, oh, no, no, of course. Thank you. <laughs> any position of power. Uh again not everybody that's yeah. not particularly true but if you listen to a lot of true crime podcasts or you what you're here into true crime you'll know that um there are some i mean very similar the golden state killer became a police officer mm-hmm. and that was when they found out he did a lot of his killings uh because he was in a position of power right and knowing that he's the killer not the hero is sort of interesting because it's sort of like he probably got to that point so that he could remain in control of what he was doing and like you said he never got I don't think he got married ever he doesn't have a ring they don't ever mention anything about his character being divorced like he goes on fishing trips by himself like I think he just remained single all all that time up until his death
1: but It's mentioned in the film that he definitely lusts after the girls in town. There's one of the clerks who works in the um, like little convenience store mentioned something about Kingsley. Yeah, yeah. How? uh, Oh, he he only cares if there's girls around or something like
0: that. So, I mean, he is definitely he's lurking. He actually says to Pam, "Like, will you be my date?" To her, like he, I don't think he sees Rosemary in her, but I think he does sexually is attracted to Pam. Yeah. Because he's he, he does, tries to give her that rose at that one moment and mm-hmm. stuff. So yeah, it's really Ugh. interesting. Guys, let us know what you think. Are we on the right track? Are we reaching? Did we <laughs> miss something? Let us know because we want to have this conversation with you. It's really interesting. Yes. All right. So final thought. Mm-hmm. It's obvious that war and horror work well together. War is hell, and hell is horrifying. Films like Aliens, Dead Snow, Predator, and Death Watch take place during a time of war or combat in general, and it could also be argued that these movies lean more towards action rather than horror. But there are other horror movies that might not be recognized as military or war movies because they take place in a time of peace and there's little to no combat or action Mm. Jacob's Ladder and House are both horror films about Vietnam vets who have come from war and have come home but suffer from terrifying visions or they must fight metaphorical ghosts and demons death dream is about a soldier who comes home but he comes home as a ghost and haunts his family and then of course we all know what the prowler is about Mm -hmm. the horror of war doesn't stay on the battlefield It follows you home like a ghost, and it haunts you and your entire family, possibly forever.
1: This doesn't just go for soldiers and their families. This could also work for innocent bystanders and civilians caught in the crossfire. Yes. So this war could also be metaphorical.
0: Guys, let us know what you think about that. And if you guys know of any articles or books that talk about horror movies and the military... That would actually be really helpful. I actually was pretty surprised to not find a lot of information about this. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of books on the philosophy of horror, uh, how of women in horror, but there's really nothing about this type of subgenre of horror, military horror. Yeah. So guys, let me know if you know of any articles or books I really want to read about it. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Good Morning Nancy. Don't forget to check out our merch shop. We've got mugs, sweatshirts, and t-shirts. Go to goodmorningnancy.com merch and click the shirt icon to be taken to our shop. Yeah, and if you'd like some extra sweet content in your coffee,
1: head over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy, and for just a few bucks a month, you can receive some fun extra content like bloopers from our show, new movie and trailer reviews, and so much more.
0: Don't forget to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. It takes just a few minutes to rate and review our show. It really helps us receive recognition and helps new listeners who are interested in horror find us follow us on social media twitter at good morning nan facebook
1: at good morning nancy and instagram at good morning nancy podcast we love you all to death have a great morning bye